When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's Mike Lee here. While this extraordinary season is over, there's no downtime for us on the Spurs show. Coming up over the summer, we have season two of our Top 10 Tottenham show, where well-known Spurs fans and regular Spurs show guests discuss their favourite Tottenham moments of all time, replete with archived clips. There's some great guests coming up with some great stories. That's all to come. But first, we have this week two recent interviews with two men who are part of our history. First up in this episode, Keith Birkinshaw in conversation with fellow Spurs fan Danny Goldman of the Here Comes Sports Pod. And later on this week, Steve Perriman discusses his early days at the club. Enjoy and come on you Spurs. The big debate in football in the last year has been between the football purists who think that money now dominates the professional game and those that seek progress through a change in the organisational structure. But nearly 40 years ago, Keith Birkinshaw saw the writing on the wall. As manager of Tottenham Hotspur, Keith brought success on the field to a club brought to its knees by relegation and revived the glory nights at White Hart Lane but he departed at the moment that Spurs started a new chapter in the business of football. It was a great pleasure to have Keith on the pod to relive some of those moments. Joining the club, steering them back to the old first division, cup success and that famous quote when he left. Enjoy. So you joined Tottenham as a coach in 1975. How did you end up moving to Spurs? Well, I was with uh, Newcastle United and uh, the uh, manager of Tottenham, 
Terry Neal at the time, he thought that the football that we played there at Newcastle was good football. And, of course, I wasn't the actual manager at at Newcastle at that time. It was uh, Joe Harvey. Joe Harvey was manager, and I was the first-team coach. And uh, I was there altogether for seven years at Newcastle. I think I was three years, either two or three years with the reserves, which was the thing that clubs did in those days. And then I went up with the first team. Uh, I had a good time, really, at, uh, at the place. Uh, and I'm still friends with quite a lot of people there, you know. And, and when you came to Spurs, Terry Neal was in charge. Yes. And Terry Neal moved on. Uh, Terry decided he wanted to do... He, he was a player at uh, Arsenal. And he wanted to go back there as manager. And, of course, I'd been at Tottenham for 12 months... And I thought to myself, crimes, he's going to uh, Arsenal and uh, it looks as though another manager's going to come in here. What's going to happen to me? So I thought, well, the least I can do is apply for the job. And luckily enough, the chairman thought that I was the one that uh, should be going there. Uh, And uh, he made me the manager of, of the club, which didn't result in too much for the club itself because we were relegated that season did you, yeah. th- did you think at the end of that season with relegation that you might lose the job of course but the chairman thought that that's something about me that, that we, he should keep me there he said uh, we're going to give you uh, uh, the job as manager make sure that you do well or else you'll be going you know and, of course, we, we uh, played in the second division that season and, and got back up into the first. And from there, it just went on quite well, really. How was it managing the team in the second division? Because you had some really high-profile players who were used to being first division yes. footballers. And so quite, most people stayed. M- most people stayed and they, they enjoyed the football. Uh, that season we did really really well up until the death and then uh, we had one or two games where uh, we'd got to get points or else we weren't going to be going up into the first division again and we managed to get a draw which was essential against Southampton the last match of the season so yeah things worked out uh, pretty well I think for us but at the beginning of that season how hard was it to motivate the players who were now playing in a lower division and to some extent may have felt a bit aggrieved that they weren't in the first division anymore? I don't think there was anybody that uh, felt that they shouldn't uh, be giving of the best. And uh, I I didn't feel as manager that uh, we'd any problems, really. What I'd done from the previous season when uh, uh, when we'd gone up... I'd taken the team to Norway and then Sweden and we were talking about what we were going to do that following season. And I think that that's the thing that worked well for us. All the players believed in what I was looking at and how I wanted them to do things, you know. And, uh, of course, if I hadn't have got (laughs) up again that season, I think I wouldn't have been there any longer. So that, um, that special game in the second division against Bristol Rovers where 
Spurs had the incredible result of 9-0. Yeah. You weren't there? No. My mother had died, I think, on the Friday, something like that, and I'd, I'd gone up there. And, and who took over as manager? Bill. Bill Nicholson? Hmm? <laughs> Did he talk to you about plans for the game? No, not at all. I, I, I just heard, on the Friday morning, I said to Bill, I've just heard that my mother's died, Bill. I've got to go up there. I said, I want you to take over. He says, ah, fine, there you go. And that was it. And what did he say to you when... I don't, I don't know that he said a lot to me when I got back, <laughs> to be fair. Yeah. I actually got Bill Nick back to Tottenham. I don't know if you know that. Uh, he was at West Ham. And I think w- what had happened was that when Bill finished with the, uh, with the club, they'd had a very poor season that season. And the, I think they were near the bottom. And he decided s- somebody else should come in. But he wanted to be the one that brought the next manager in. The directors said, no, we will be the ones that decide who's the next manager. And because of that, Bill said, OK, I'll finish at the club, and, uh, and off he went to uh, West Ham. And I, I knew this, and, of course, I was interested in Bill. I thought, well, if I can get him back to Tottenham, I can give him the job of bringing in the players uh, uh, that we need which is what, what I did and what he wanted to do, really. And you were saying that he lived very close to the club, so he was, yeah. he was able to come I back. I called in at his house most times after matches. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I don't think people realise how things were then. Spurs were promoted in 78, and you then went out and bought Ozzy Ardiles and Ricky Villa. Yes. What happened there with, the, with those two was that I'd watched the, um, the 1978 World Cup being played and Ozzy was voted the top player of the tournament. I don't know if you know that one. And, uh, and Ricky was one that didn't play in the team all the time but he came on on the odd occasion. And uh, there was a manager from England that uh, rang me up, Ari Aslamia, and uh, he rang me up and said, uh, uh, have you been watching the uh, World Cup? I said, yeah. He said, there was a lad there called Adilas and, and Villa. And he said, if you go off to Argentina with me this weekend, he says, I'm, I'm pretty certain that you'll be able to sign these players. So off I went. And the fellow that, that made sure everything was right for me when I got over there was the guy that had been sent off against England in the 1968 World Cup. Uh, uh, Rattan. Yeah. And he was the nicest guy you could ever come across. So that started things off well for me. And uh, to sign Ozzy and, and Ozzy Adilis and Ricky Villa, was pretty simple because I think that Ozzy's wife was the one that really, really wanted to come to England and uh, she helped a lot in that. Mm. Was, was, was there a good personal connection when you met uh, Ozzy the first time? Yeah, we seemed to get on quite well. Ozzy later said that uh, if he'd have known how much money he was going to get when he got there, he wouldn't have probably done it, <laughs> which was a load of cobblers. But, um, yeah, his wife really wanted to come, come over to England, I think, and that, that sealed things for, for me, you know. But I think it cost me something like 
560,000 for the pair of them, which wasn't bad. <laughs> uh, did and, did yeah. you think they would struggle to adapt to the uh, English game? Well, I wasn't sure about whether they'd adapt to the football game, but I was a bit worried about how they would adapt to living in England. So what I did, uh, I, um, I hired this house that was big enough to take both families. And together with the pair of them and the wives, brought over the mothers and the fathers and so that everybody felt as though it was nice to live there, you know. And that started things off well. So two or three years earlier, Nottingham Forest had come straight up from the second mm, division mm. and won the first division. Mm. So there was, in a way, a precedent for a team to come up and then be very successful and even win the league. Did you think to yourself that your team could achieve something like that or did it feel that Liverpool in particular were so far ahead that it was, it was impossible? Well, I think I was always league? pretty confident that Tottenham could uh, produce a team that, that would... Uh, be up near the top rather than down at the bottom. But mind you, when the two of them came, I think we had a game against Nottingham Forest, which we, I think we drew 3-3, something like that. And then we had a game at home against Aston Villa and we lost that, I think, was it 4-0 or 4-1? And then we got, we got Liverpool away and we lost, what, 7? Was it 7-0 or 7-1? No. Yeah, so things didn't go quite as I expected them to. But what I was determined to get was the football that the spectators wanted to see. Because I always felt that Tottenham, there's something about Tottenham that was a little bit different from every other club. The football that they played was terrific, you know, and that was under uh, Bill Nick. And that's the type of football that I wanted to play. And I, th- I also think that over my career at, uh, at Tottenham, that I wanted that football to be as that good that I didn't sometimes think that it was better probably to win the league more often. You know, <laughs> we didn't win the league, but and it was because it was the football that we played that that was my biggest thing, really. That is very Tottenham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How good were Liverpool in that era? Oh, they were very good. And we'd never won at Liverpool for, I don't know how many years, 40-odd years, something like that. Since 1912. Bill Nick had never won in there. Uh, And, of course, we went there and we couldn't do it. And and it was a bit of a homecoming, in a way, because you had a playing affiliation with I I started off as a, a young kid there as a professional, yeah. Uh, but I was two years in the army as well at the time, which everybody had got to do then, if they were in football. Uh, as a kid, I worked down the pits, coal pits. And of course, if you worked down the, in the coal pits, you didn't have to go in the army. So that was quite a difference, you know. You, you had a lot of different personalities, different nationalities... How did you manage all the different types? I mean, for example, you had somebody like Glenn Hoddle, who was one of the greatest players of the post-war yes. English game. Yes. How did you manage a Glenn Hoddle versus a John Pratt or a Garth Crooks or a Steve well, Archibald? Fun- funnily enough, Glenn was only a 
kid when I went there. I think he was 17, 18. And uh, uh, when I was coach in that first season I was there, I always remember him playing his first game, which was at Stoke City. <laughs> and uh, I could see then immediately when I saw him in that game that what a player he was going to be, you know. But he was a shy sort of a kid at, the, at that stage, and he was no problem at all. But I could see that he was out of the ordinary. As a, because if I wanted something done in training, I would ask him to do it, and he'd do it perfectly from the word go, which I don't think there's any other player that could do that. And other players were in awe of him because they saw that he did it immediately, and they must have thought to themselves, Christ, what a player this fella is. And, and that was how he was. But then later on, as he became a bigger and bigger player, did you have to work with him and deal with him differently to other players? Not at all. No. He didn't have any ego in that sort of respect. The thing that I was disappointed with about Glenn was that I thought that England should have had him as their top player. And in those days, they were looking at the physical side of things more than the technical side, I thought. Uh, and he didn't always play. He played 50-odd games when he should have played probably 150, you know. So um, I was disappointed from that, in that respect. And, and was it different managing uh, the sort of Latin mentality and personalities of an Aussie ideal as a World Cup winner? Uh, not really. Not really. He, the, the pair of them were just down and out people. But I, I was so close to them that I helped to sort of get the houses they were living in and things like this, you know. And... Aussie, the first thing when he got there was, uh, I would like a, a, a car. Uh, I said, oh. He says, yes. Uh, uh, what was it he wanted? He wanted a, a special car. And yes, I wanted. Of course, eventually I got him the car and, and, his, and I got to, uh, the other lad the car as well. And I'm not sure that they did that in Argentina at the time, you know. So it was just little things like that, and we were very close together. And I knew, I knew the wives of both of them, you know. It's, so it, it wasn't it wasn't difficult with them at all. And the addition of Archibald and Crooks seemed to take the team to a, another yes. level. Yeah, the pair of them more or less came together, and uh, I think they were the ones that put the icing on the cake, especially uh, Steve, uh, Archibald, right. And uh, I think he got 20-odd goals in the first season he was, was with the club. And the other lad got 20. So, you know, it, it was the icing on the cake, as I said. You won two FA Cups. Yes. Which must have been incredible. Well, in exciting. those days, the FA Cup was as big as the league, really. You know, everybody wanted to talk about every game and, and the final itself was... oh. It's not quite like that these days, unfortunately. But anyway, it was then. From a league point of view... It the league point of view was the thing that I failed on to a certain extent 
because of the football that I wanted them to play. If they played really, really good football and we'd lost 1-0, I wasn't too unhappy, which was wrong, really. I, you know, we, got, we should have been up, upright at the top. Uh, but the, the supporters loved it, you know. Um, so it was a happy club, I thought. And then 1984 came the UEFA Cup. Yes. An injury-ravaged season in many ways, going into well, the final. Well, yeah, we, we didn't have uh, the captain, Steve Perryman. We didn't have Ossia Dealers. We didn't have Glenn Oddle. Those about six or seven. We didn't have the goalkeeper, did we? Ray Clemens. So with about six or seven people missing, but we managed. We'd, we'd, we'd gone with a good side there, and did we finish up drawing the game? One I one. think we did. When I thought we should have won it about four or five one, we'd missed chances there. So I, I was pretty confident, even when we had all these players missing, I thought we can still do it, and we managed it. It was quite hard at times, but we did manage it. If you had to pick one of the three finals that you managed Tottenham to success in, FA Cup in 81, the FA Cup in 82, and the UEFA Cup in 84, was the one that stands out more than the well, other? Well, the FA Cup was the first thing that I won with the, with the club, so it was massive. And in those days, the, as I said, uh, it was a massive game, that. But I was also really, really chuffed about winning the European because I'd fallen out with the people that were at the club then, running the club uh, financially. Uh, I didn't get on with them at all. And, uh, but we still managed to do it, even though we got about five or six people out. You know, which I don't think people quite realised that at the time so talking about the relationship with the, the senior management at the club you, you touched on it um, just now and there is or it is said that you said as a parting shot there used to be a football club yes. there um, did you say it yes and what did you mean by that well what I meant by that was that for me football was the main thing at the place Whereas I knew for a fact that the people coming in, all they were dreaming about was how much money they were going to make and one thing and another, you know. So I knew that it was going to, the football wasn't going to be quite the same. And I didn't get on with the, the fellow that was chairman. And to be fair to me, I think I'd seen the right thing because the club sort of went down to a certain extent. Do you think that in a way that, comment on Tottenham has become a comment on football top flight football in, in England in general yeah, over yeah, the course do, of the, that I time I thought football the way that you played and the results that you got this was absolutely the thing that you were there for as a manager but now it's how much money's got coming into the bloody place all the time and, ah. and of course there was two things that was a vast difference to what uh, we had then as of now one are the footballs that they play with two the pitches that they play on if we'd have had those two things going for us I'm pretty certain we'd have won more than what we did so looking back finally very happy memories of, of your time at Tottenham uh, I loved it yes 
But I loved it because the chairman allowed me to run the club as I wanted to run it, you know. And, of course, we started being successful. It was ridiculous what happened in 84, really, because if they'd have left me there, I'm pretty certain we won more trophies. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.